The U.S. House narrowly approves Obamacare repeal. The Governor Holcomb signs a controversial solar bill. That plus an award for Planned Parenthood CEO and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending May 5th, 2017. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, the U.S. House approved a federal health care reform bill 217 to 213, sending it to the Senate. The Republican health care bill includes a trillion-dollar tax cut, mostly for wealthier Americans, and cuts billions in government spending. And 6th District Representative Luke Messer, speaking on the House floor, says most importantly, it repeals Obamacare. The bill unshackles American families from the mandates, taxes, and penalties that are costing these families thousands of dollars each year. But the GOP bill also allows states to waive rules that bar insurers from charging higher prices to customers with pre-existing conditions. State Democratic Party Chair John Zodi says Republicans are more committed to tax cuts for the rich than ensuring millions don't lose health care coverage. And he vows that Messer and fellow Republican Todd Rakita, both potential U.S. Senate candidates, will pay for their votes in next year's election. Will GOP lawmakers' yes votes come back to haunt them? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Joey Fox, John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House reporter Brandon Smith. Ann Delaney, Republicans haven't had any trouble winning elections in this state by pledging to repeal Obamacare, so why would their votes for this bill hurt them next year? Well, when they pledged to repeal Obamacare, they told people they would have better insurance for more people at a lower cost. They lied. They lied. This bill is unconscionable. It not only restores pre-existing conditions, it not only, uh, let's see, you go from three, per, three times the uh, average uh, premium for a, an older adult to five times the premium. You cut the subsidies dramatically, so people are going to be paying all their income, all their income in an attempt to get insurance. They go to these, quote, high-risk pools, which they don't, they don't fund. They have lifetime caps. Again, they have annual caps again, and states can elect not to provide maternity coverage, drug addiction coverage, mental health coverage, and if one state opts for that, insurance policies can be offered without those provisions all over the country. This is an absolutely unconscionable bill, and every single House member, Susan Brooks, Luke Messer, Todd Rokita, should be embarrassed. They should be embarrassed because they've lied to the public about what they were doing, and what they're doing is absolutely unconscionable. Will Republican House members in this state uh, face angry voters next fall? What's unconscionable is the Democratic Party's continued defense of Obamacare. What's unconscionable is Obamacare itself. What was a lie was, if you like your doctor, that you can keep it. Um, Hoosiers hate Obamacare. and That's not what the polls show, by the way. Donald Trump won this state by 20 points, and, yeah, that, and our congressional delegation continues, continues to be victorious on running and repealing Obamacare. Yeah. This is a first step. This is a first step against rising premiums, against rising deductible costs, and this bill is going to change a lot in the Senate. Republicans so. are delivering on exactly what we promised the American people. That's right. No health care. Will it, will, will it, it, 
it, it, a lot of people on, even on the floor, Luke Messer talked about, this is not, as he put it, this is not uh, the checkered flag, it's a green flag. This is the start of the process. Will that matter to voters? Uh, it will matter if, in fact, this bill, and it won't, but let's play the scenario game. If this bill, as it's written now and as it was passed by the House, was, in fact, approved by the Senate and signed by the President, there would be repercussions, I'm convinced, once people, once this cycles through the system and people see that they, in fact, will be facing caps, will be facing, in all likelihood, a return to some of the same sorts of conditions and constraints that had created such a hue and cry prior to the passage of the Affordable Care Act. I mean, public opinion is not a, a, a static, ever, uh, you know, constant issue. You look at, at on any number of topics, including the Affordable Care Act, there has been a shift in public opinion. And, and while it seemed to be a safe bet politically to oppose it um, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, perhaps even last November, I'm not sure that's the case now because there has been a shift in opinion. And uh, again, it's a, probably a rhetorical discussion because the Senate would not uh, uh, pass what's been passed this week. To move beyond the specifics of this bill, though, uh, we've talked on the show before about will Joe Donnelly um, be hurt next fall by his continued defense of Obamacare. But is it going to be the other way around? Should the Republican candidate, whoever he or she may be, end up worrying about their health care votes? I think under two conditions that could be the case. And the first condition is if the Senate uh, works it out and is able to moderate this in some fashion that, that uh, makes it more acceptable, uh, then it's less likely that'll be the case. Um, frankly, I don't know that the Senate can come up with a plan um, that, that will allow that to happen. The second thing is I think there are some districts where uh, some individual candidates may be somewhat vulnerable. And I have to throw in all those qualifiers because, you know, this is a pretty safe area for Republicans, especially those running for Congress. But I could see it being an issue in, in uh, Susan Brooks' 5th district. I could see it being a little bit of an of a, of a issue possibly up in Jackie Wilarski's district in the 2nd. Um, and it could become a race in the, you know, if, if Luke Messer and Todd Rokita both go to the post in the Senate race, I think it could become an issue because it will be more immediate at that time, too. Both have voted for it, so it won't be a, 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 a issue in the primary, but it might be an issue going forward. So I think, I think it, you have to qualify it. I hate to do that, but you have to qualify it. But I think it could very well be an issue well, for some. Well, I think in particular, because we have more than 400,000 Hoosiers that are covered by, H, by uh, HIP 2.0, which is Obamacare. And, and now, not only are they running from it, which was the only signature achievement of the Pence administration, but Pence is running from it. I mean, he's abandoning those more than 400,000 people who have gotten coverage under him, and that is unconscionable. Susan Brooks, you mentioned Susan Brooks. Susan Brooks has, by congressional district, the most people using um, subsidies from the Affordable Care Act right. uh, of any uh, congressperson in this state. If the final plan is anything but making sure at least all of those people are covered, um, is she in trouble? The question right now is not about Susan Brooks's district. I want to address something. Republicans are not running from HIP 2.0 in, in They certainly are. In, They're in going Indiana. to block grants. Gov Governor Holcomb has sent a letter to the administration. Governor Holcomb is going to the Post for, HIP, for, HIP, for HIP 2.0, saying that we, we support, we want the national program to look more like this. Governor Holcomb is not in a position. I can't oh, imagine God. a governor going to the federal government if this bill, which it won't, but were this bill to pass and saying, yeah, we'd like to opt out and get rid of all these people with pre-existing right. con conditions. But if you're going to cut Medicaid, Medicaid, which they are proposing to do by 25%, that's exactly what's going to happen. And you know what? You cannot guarantee more coverage 
more extensive coverage at lower cost to everybody in the world with no additional income, okay? So they're lying to the voters, and that is unconscionable. And you also can't pay for it the way that Obamacare tried to oh, do it. Yeah, it's going to bank. It's going to bankrupt. And the, the problem right, was, on, the I'm problem was, you on. guys didn't allow it to go to every state to have every state have one well, of these. Well, I think the Supreme Court had something well, to say about that. Well, they could have opted in. Too. Governor Governor Eric Holcomb finished signing the remaining bills from the 2017 session this week, including a measure making significant changes to the state's solar power industry. The controversial legislation reduces the amount of money future renewable energy users will get from utility companies for the excess energy they produce. Existing customers will continue receiving their current rate for 30 years. Environmental advocates argue the measure will have a devastating and crippling impact on the solar industry in Indiana, saying Governor Holcomb's decision to sign it is incomprehensible and one that robs Hoosiers of their freedom of energy choice. In signing the bill, Holcomb said he understands concerns, but that the measure ensures those who currently have solar interests won't be affected for years. Joey Fox, should Governor Holcomb have vetoed this bill? No, he did the right thing by signing this bill. I mean, for goodness sake, the people that currently have systems, and you can still get a system through the end of this year, are grandfathered in for 30 years before this change. Uh, Senator Hirschman and Representative Ober are taking a look at this policy now in a proactive way, which makes sense before the federal tax issues uh, close out in the early 2020s. this is the right thing to do. It looks forward. It also raises the, the cap on utility companies on what they have to do from 1% of their peak summer load to a percent and a half, which will allow more people to come on board with, with solar systems. Starts to relax um, some regulations to help us to reduce more uh, solar and alternative energy in, in, in the future. The governor did the right thing. It certainly <laughs> keeps things, it, it certainly keeps things um, pretty much the same for a, a very long time for existing users. For existing users. But, and, and through the end of the year. But does it, does it sort of dampen the future of the solar Well, that's industry? exactly what it does. And, and that's exactly what the special interests wanted to do with this bill, which is why every environmental group in the state opposed it and opposed it emphatically. So it is not the good government, uh, let's look at alternative sources. It's a special interest bill to protect the utilities in the coal industry. That's what it is, which is what most of the legislature is controlled by special interests. It shouldn't be a surprise. It's amazing that the environmental groups somehow aren't special interest groups. Well, they're not interested in their pocketbooks, which makes them radically different from your special interests. Uh, the utility companies make the argument, though, that they are paying, that essentially if you're not paying any, anything into the system if you're a solar user, if, you, if the utility companies have to pay you for the energy you're producing, you're not paying for the grid. You're not paying for the, the hardware of the utility system. Is that a good enough argument to, to back this bill? Well, I think that um, they're looking far forward in that regard because, um, you know, the relative amount of gener- energy that's going back into the grid is, is small at this point. So if they're anticipating that, then it probably makes some sense. Are there other mechanisms for capturing that cost? There probably are. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the, the charge that the utility companies are trying to protect their, their tariff or their, their turf resonates. And I do think that the um, special interest groups, the environmental groups that oppose this, um, did a good job of bringing their message forward. I think that, that the debate needs to keep going because the future is not in coal. The future is definitely in alternatives. And you see all over the city and all over the state, uh, not just the windmills, but also solar energy uh, coming into play. And so everyone understands that. 
infrastructure is the key, and it's going to take investment by the uh, in the utilities uh, and how it's paid for, whether it's by utilities, investors, or uh, a combination of everything, um, is going to be critical going forward. Seeing that it doesn't dramatically change things, at least for, well, 30 years for existing customers, and even for new customers it wouldn't change things for something like 20, 25 years, is this really a placeholder bill for something in the future? Oh, I think there will be. I think John's exactly right. There will be a lot more debate on this uh, this bill. I mean, the sun will come out tomorrow, and, and as long as it does, there will we be. We hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> now we're really pessimistic. Um, and so, you know, this this actually uh, echoes something we talked about last week, which is the notion of the General Assembly's overarching. Uh, well, it's basically a, a conundrum they're in about whether to pick winners and losers on any number of topics. And, and Brent Hirschman, who was the, the author and the backer of this uh, powerful person in the, the Senate, incidentally, I'm guessing that had this been the, the favorite, the pet cause of somebody with less clout uh, than Brent Hirschman, time. it might have yeah. had, might, the veto pen might have, uh, the ink might have flowed a little more readily. But um, uh, this is that, that ongoing debate that we talked about last week, you know, are we picking by giving these sorts of, um, you know, propping? Are we propping up the solar industry at the expense of utilities? And again, there or is, the other way around. Or the other way around. Yeah, there's no, there's no uh, way to, to resolve. But it was a savvy PR move. You had churches and schools and others yeah, that have a, these that were right. opposed to uh, this bill. All right, Congressman Todd Rakita this week defended United Airlines and got ticked off at a fake Twitter account. The U.S. House Transportation Committee held a hearing after video surfaced a few weeks ago of a United Airlines passenger dragged, bloodied, from an overbooked plane. United CEO apologized for the incident and told the committee that he would work to ensure it never happens again. Rokita praised him for the response and seemingly sided with United in the controversy, saying the man dragged from the plane should have cooperated. And Rokita this week responded harshly to a fake Twitter account pretending to be him announcing a run for the U.S. Senate. Rokita called out the fake, labeling them clowns, and questioned whether it was juvenile friends of Luke Messers or Joe Donnelly's that set up the phony account. John Schwannis, let's start with Rokita's defense of United Airlines. Are you surprised he took that position? I, I, I can only assume that if, if the congressman is looking for, say, a caucus within the House where there's a straight path to a leadership position, this may be the perfect caucus because it may be a caucus of one. Uh, <laughs> so he can instantly, if he creates the, uh, the anti uh, you know, air passenger uh, coalition, I think he can be, uh, you know, chief cook, cook and bottle washer all in one. It is surprising because you looked at the, the, uh, the sort of the tenor of the, the hearings that were taking place this week in both the House and the Senate. And let's remember, these were committee chairs, House Transportation Committee and, and the uh, Senate Subcommittee on, on Aviation. These are chaired, you know, by Republicans who were uh, spared no punches when leadership of United and other airlines came forward. Uh, and so you even had this week the uh, commissioner of, of Chicago's aviation operation again saying, we screwed up, we're not going to do this anymore, people have been suspended. You can't have everybody else, including the alleged perpetrators, saying I'm guilty and, and raising their hands or, and, and waving a white flag and somebody else saying, they're the good guys, you got it all wrong. For a guy who, who it seems to have higher political ambitions, uh, including in the near term, what does this do? Well, all I can imagine is he's got frequent flyer miles on United, and he wants to get you know, a better deal on those. I'm not sure. Um, 
this is interesting to me for the reason that he's already taken the gloves off in the Senate race, the primary. Um, you know, he made comments in, in some political reports and, and in some uh, Lincoln Day dinners that he's been into uh, that clearly take shots at uh, Luke Messer, who uh, is his likely opponent in the primary. And so I think he's in, you know, battle mode. And he figured, okay, I'll just add one more to this and I'll, I'll you know. I think he thought it was Messer being pulled off the plane. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. It was a doctor. So I wanna, it's, it's, it's a doctor. Sense. Maybe it goes back to shift. healthcare. So I want to. Uh, so I want to shift then to the Twitter. The, the, so a fake Twitter account is created. He he. In one tweet, he calls it out. Says, "Hey, this is fake. Some clowns are setting up this account." Which makes sense. That's what sure. you do. The follow-up tweet where he blames, "Oh, is it juvenile friends of Luke Messers? Is it juvenile friends of Joe Donnelly's?" What is that response about? I think that is just ridiculous. I mean, does he think he's Donald Trump? Does he have nothing else to do but, but play around with Twitter accounts all day long? I mean, who knows who set that up? Who cares who set it up? Okay? It, 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 I don't believe it was either campaign because it's greasy kid stuff. And what impact does it have except to have him go mouth off about something? But you don't need that. He'll do it about anything. So you don't even need to create opportunities. Is this a little bit of the Donald Trump effect on, on uh, Indiana politics, that he feels a little more free? First of all, I never pretend to try to understand the Donald Trump effect. Second of all, <laughs> sec- second of all, I, I, I don't understand the, the United position. Well, but I do appreciate him saying that he doesn't want the federal government to regulate everything. And on the, on, on the, the Twitter... The Twitter piece of this, I, I think he has exposed himself to his opponents, both uh, in the primary and in the general, to some some thin skinness uh, on on this that I think could be a problem for him. I think he just sent a big signal to his opponents that it doesn't take a whole lot to to kind of uh, create a response. Right, time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, who was responsible for the phony Todd Rakita Twitter account announcing a run for Senate? Was it someone associated with Luke Messer? Someone associated with Joe Donnelly? Someone associated with Todd Rokita or other? Last week's question, how would you rate Governor Eric Holcomb's performance in his first legislative session? 15% call it next level. 45% say satisfactory. 33% say Governor Holcomb needs improvement. And just 7% give it an F. If you would like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. Well, the Indiana Democratic Party this week is honoring longtime Planned Parenthood of Indiana CEO Betty Cockrum. The state Democratic Party is presenting Cockrum with a Lifetime Achievement Award. Cockrum, after 15 years leading Planned Parenthood of Indiana, is stepping down next month. She previously worked in Bloomington City Government and for Democratic Governor Frank O'Bannon. Conservative groups want Senator Joe Donnelly to denounce his party for giving Cockrum the award. Indiana Right to Life says supporting the award celebrates abortion, and the National Republican Senatorial Committee says Donnelly's unwillingness to denounce the state Democratic Party indicates that he's unfit to represent Indiana. Donnelly has long labeled himself pro-life. John Katzenberger, should Donnelly have denounced this award to Betty Cockrum? Heck no. I think that's uh, one of the most ludicrous things I've heard. This association um, game is not good for the political process. Uh, this litmus test kind of uh, thinking uh, doesn't do any good for the process. And so what you have is you, you're trying to pit people against uh, each other, and not just one party or another, but within a party. Um, look, Joe Donnelly says that he doesn't want to have, a, you know, he's, he's pro-life. He doesn't want abortions to happen, but it's legal. And her service to the party and her service to her organization have all been honorable and deserve praise. So to ask him to denounce that, 
uh, I think is not just crass, it's also lacking class. Was this, uh, was this Democrats asking for trouble by giving her this award and knowing what it would put, the, the kind of position it would put Joe Donnelly in? No, I, I think it's what we might have seen uh, done for, for decades, and you see the Republican Party honoring its um, favorites in, in certain fashion. It's just that, again, the, the climate has changed. I don't know if it's the Trump effect or what, but I think John is exactly right. Uh, class and crass, he even came up with the rhyme there. It, it does, uh, it lacks one, and it is an example of the other. Uh, we've just gotten into this notion of, uh, you know, slash and burn. And, again, regardless of the issue, it seems to me the great tradition of, of our country is to the ability to come together and let argue as vigorously as you can the merits of your position and then see how it shakes out. You don't, you know, dishonor the person yeah. uh, by doing that. And so that's, that's sort of sad that we've reached uh, that level. We're 18 months out from next uh, year's general election. Is this a preview of, of how nasty it might become in the Senate race? I just find it incredible that my friends on the, the other side of the aisle finally become concerned about class and, and where we stand when it's time to defend abortion. Um, I think the Democratic Party giving an award um, a Lifetime Achievement Award to someone who has uh, led an organization that has made sure that many people never have a chance at life is particularly ironic. And I don't think this lacks class. I think this is a true political issue that Joe Donnelly needs to answer for. That's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Nobody celebrates abortion, least of all Betty Cockrum. What she does is provide useful, very useful cancer screenings, contraception, and those types of things, and abortion when they're necessary. Okay, And what, what I love about this when the Republican Party is not pro-life. They are pro-birth. They don't even want to cover maternity care. That's one of the things they are, they are saying that the states can opt out of. They certainly don't want to provide uh, health care uh, and needed services for children with disabilities because when they're cutting Medicaid, they're cutting funding for children with disabilities. It is hypocrisy of the worst sort. Betty Cochran has endured a lot to provide those services to women over the years. She deserves recognition and shame on the Republican Party for, for trying to rein on that particular celebration. Secretary of State Connie Lawson this week announced her 2018 re-election bid. In a video statement, Lawson announced her decision to run for re-election in 2018 by talking about the work her office has done, particularly in what she calls election integrity. We need strong GOP leadership in states like Indiana so states can maintain control of local election administration. I'm seeking re-election to continue the work we have started. Democrats in 2016 criticized Lawson's handling of a voter fraud investigation, accusing her of using unfounded inflammatory rhetoric. And Delaney Lawson won in 2014 with 57% of the vote. Quite frankly, do Democrats have any chance of unseating I think her? There's, I, I think there's going to be a different wave coming in 2018, number one. And number two is, you know, her record, when they talk about the local control, the a turnout in Indiana because of the laws that Indiana has implemented to try to discourage voting is shameful. She's supposed to be in the service of encouraging people to vote and making it as easy as possible to vote. And instead, we were next to the last, last election, last the election before in turnout, deliberately. 
So she deserves to Please. be replaced. Democrats, Democrats have been trying to do this. They've been trying to tie, for instance, the lack of redistricting reform this past session, the, the vo- voting rights in general. But she's the election administrator. Can you tie those attacks to her? No, of course not. And you can't make people vote. I mean, and what is it? What is it? What is it? What does it say? Oh, no, you have to have ID. You can't come at certain oh, God time. For, God forbid you, you have to have an early. identification yeah, in order to well, cast a ballot it, in the United States of America. Yeah, well, you know what? We haven't had a documented case of voter fraud in the United States of America in three years. No, you can't tie those to her. Connie Lawson's done a great job. Election administration is is important. And what we're dealing with here is is uh, on turnout. These are distractions uh, from, from the issues. Of course, we all want more civic participation. But what, is, what, is it say, what does it say about voter participation when a voter will only go to the polls if it's nice, out, nice outside and there's an air-conditioned tunnel directly to the polling place that's next door to their or house? Maybe, maybe if we had remote locations, for example, and early voting maybe and same-day registration, less, less we might increase uh, the turnout like every other state has done. Maybe folks, maybe, maybe folks could send in a mail show, ballot. John. Well, just, just right. outside could. of this show. Yeah. Finally, uh, this week, Republican Senator Todd Young gave his so-called maiden speech on the Senate floor. He talked about Hoosier common sense and working for the common good. Joey Fox, what would be the subject of your maiden speech in the Senate? The under undervalued... Um Undervalue we assigned to Adam Sandler movies. Probably, prob- <laughs> probably would be would, would be where it would be. And what well, would that you would make be as meaningful as as Todd Young's speech <laughs> in the Senate. I mean, we talk about working for the common good at the same time he votes to, th- to throw twenty four million people well, off Todd health Young insurance. Didn't vote for that. It well, hasn't got to the Senate. He will yet. when the time comes, won't he? Well, we'll see. He hasn't taken a position on health care oh, so far, yeah. and uh, that spotlight's going to shift to him soon. I'm sure we'll talk about it on future shows. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Joey Fox, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time, because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.